You're listening to the Freedom House Podcast. We're a house that will empower you in your walk with Christ to get free, live free, and set others free. This is our Sunday service series. For more information, go to FHUS.org. Enjoy. In the book of Hebrews chapter 6, verse 2, it says that uh, there are six basic doctrines, elementary teachings. I elaborate this point so much, you guys should almost know this by heart. Uh, It says, of the doctrines of baptism, notice this fourth one here. There's two other ones, faith in God. Uh, And then uh, we see the doctrines of baptism and the laying on of hands. Say the laying on of hands. And of a resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. So we see that one of the foundations within the early church is that they had an understanding of the laying out of hands. And in the early church, it was not just a formality. Uh, In the early church, it was not just some liturgical order by which we lay hands on and nothing actually happens. The power of God is actually released through the laying on of hands. And so this is actually an elementary truth within the church. And so as Pastor Derek was ministering, there was the laying on of hands. You know, I love it when new people come into the house of God and they look around and go, what is this going on? Well, right here. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 2, is called elementary. It's what the early church. Next time you read your Bible, take off your blinders and your personal theological prejudice and read the Bible with the viewpoint of laying on of hands. And you'll see Jesus actually did it a lot as well as the disciples and the apostles did. And everyone says. And Jesus is doing it today because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. What he did yesterday, he's doing today. Come on, are you here? So notice that. That's a foundational one. Now, uh, one of the principles that we see is found in the book of Deuteronomy, going back to the Old Testament, by which you see the New Testament laying on of hands is based on Old Testament ideas. And it says this in chapter 34, verse 9. And it says, Now Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom. He was filled with what? It doesn't say ignorance. It doesn't say stupidity. It says there was a spirit of wisdom. That is to say that wisdom is not just mentally ascending to facts. Wisdom is not just uh, something that enters into your mind. It enters into your spirit, man, because the spirit of wisdom is actually a person, according to the book of Proverbs, that cries out to people that are foolish. And so we understand that at first has its entrance into the spirit of man before it has its entrance into the mind of man. So notice this. He was filled with the spirit of wisdom because what? Because Moses had laid his hands on him. So that shows that there was a transmission of the spirit of wisdom that came. For what purpose? For the purpose that where God has planted you, even listen. For those of you, some of you aren't called to ministry, but you're called to be a minister at the place where God has called you. All of us are called ministers of the gospel, not just the person that stands behind the pulpit. You see, God has planted you in a place that I'm not planted at. And God needs you to be a light in that place. So oftentimes, the, the clergy kind of has this high poppy syndrome in which they look down upon the people, failing to recognize that it's not just the priesthood as those who stand behind the pulpit, but you are part of the priesthood of believers because you believe in Jesus, and he has deposited gifts on the inside of you. Come on, are you here? And so part of that is developing giftings and understanding that there is a spirit of wisdom that could come upon. And notice how this came about through the laying on of hands. 
And so even when you have ministry at the altar like this and there's prophetic words that come forth, it is to strengthen you in the place where God has personally planted you so that the place in which you're planted, you become fruit producers and it's good fruit that you're producing for the kingdom of God. Because he wants your wisdom, not just in the church, it needs to go out into the places of the world where God has personally planted you. And so those are the things that he brings you up to another level in those things. In fact, in 2 Timothy, when you go to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, it makes this statement. It says, for this reason, this is the Apostle Paul talking to Timothy. This is a letter to Timothy. This is a spiritual son in the faith. It's not a board member. It's called a son, a spiritual son. The New Testament, the highest order that there is, is that the church is not first and foremost as a business, as oftentimes you see in America, it is a family. This is why when Jesus was baptized and he came up out of the water, he didn't say, this is my beloved board member. This is my beloved church member. He said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Why was he well pleased? It wasn't because of all the miracles that he did. Hello. He didn't do any miracles because we know soon thereafter he turned the water and the wine. And the Bible says this was the first of his miracles by which he gave glory and that he was glorified. So we know that there was no miracles. So Jesus' identity isn't in what he does, but who he is. And therefore, the fruit that we produce isn't because we're gifted, but because of who we are in him. And oftentimes within the church, you get insecure leaders that just ride their gifting, but they don't know who they are. Boy, I'm preaching better on this Sunday morning than you're responding. And so we see here that uh, in Timothy, for this reason, I remind you to do what? To fan into flame. Notice this, the gift of God. So notice there was a gift that was inside of him. Now, I would love to sit there and have a connect group with the Apostle Paul after he made this one statement in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. I'd be like, excuse me, what do you mean fan into flame? How do you do that? What's some uh, 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 practical ways in which we can do that? You see, the Bible is actually silent on this point. So this is why we need to inquire of the Lord in prayer. What does it mean to fan into flame? Number one, we do know this, that you have to take personal responsibility for a gift that God gives you. He doesn't say God's going to fan into flame. So we can't sit there and indict God's sovereignty as fatalism and say, God, how come my flame and that gift inside of me is not flamed up? You have to take personal charge over what God has given you to be a good steward of what he gives you. Come on, are you here? And so we see that. And I think part of stirring up or fanning the flame, the gift that is inside of you is through prayer, through intimacy. And here's another one, through obedience. Why? Because fear will want to seek to bind up the gift that's on the inside of you. Cause you to not step out of the boat when clearly the word is to step out of the boat. When Jesus gave his word and said, come out of the boat, you can walk on the water. That was a gift of his word that came to him. And he has to choose to fan into flame, say, I'm choosing to believe to step out of the boat. And when the assault of the enemy comes to stir up the winds and the waves against you, you have to fan into flame, say, no waves, you're going to settle down. Winds, you're going to settle down. I'm going to keep walking because I'm not going to drown. You see, part of stirring up and fanning into flame is that power that is released against a very real enemy that would want to come to you and to assault you, to silence your voice, and to bind up the gift that's on the inside of you. That's why you have to take charge of what God has given you and stir up the gift of God that's on the inside of you. And everyone says, 
And this is how you complete your ministry. This is what the Apostle Paul is telling a pastor. But you say, this is a pastor. Listen, you're a pastor at the place that God planted you. At your workplace. Consider yourself a pastor. I now dub thee, you are now pastors. Amen. And so you need to stir up the gift of God on the inside of you. You need to fan into flame those things that are on the inside of you in order to be a light in darkness and to be salt of the earth, as Jesus commissioned us to do. Now watch this. The fan in the flame. How did it get there? Did it come because he went to a university? Because he went to college? Because he read a bunch of books? I'm not against all these things. I do a lot of that myself, but I want you to notice. How did it come? Which is in you through the laying on of my hands, which means giftings come through the laying on of hands. You see, it's not through the laying on of hands, just things come out. Through the laying on of hands, good things come in. You know, sometimes, especially in the charismatic world, you can go, uh, you know, on social media and there's a lot of coming out. And that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. I believe in good come outs. Come out in Jesus' name. I think Christians need to get used to that word, especially in our culture today and the trajectory in which we're going. We need a lot more of ministers who stir the gift of God and say, come out. I think come outs will help you a lot. Sometimes you have to lay hands on your own head and say, come out. Come on, are you here? I'm being a little bit funny there. But my point is, this is not just things that come out through the laying on of hands. But notice, just as in the Old Testament, wisdom came in. Notice, giftings came in. And listen, those things will only come about as you are walking in obedience to God. This is why oftentimes many people will say, Pastor, how can I fulfill what God wants me to do? It looks too big for me. You're right, it is too big. Because if you could do it in your own strength, listen, whatever you can do in your own strength, you'll begin to take glory for. Write that down. I found that to be true. Because by the following week, you'll be all of a sudden having seminars on three keys on how you can have your best life. When you realize it was not your best life, it was his best life that was given on your behalf. And you had no handiwork in the whole situation. You see... Uh, Moses felt like he was unqualified. This is why I'm not qualified to go into Egypt and set your people free. No, I'm commissioning you to do it. What's in your hand? This is why Moses didn't take the glory because he knew the rod isn't something that he created. It was a rod that was given to him by God by which there was a manifestation of the authority of God. So when you have a rod, recognize where it came from. It didn't come from you. It came from God. This is why a vision that comes from God is going to be bigger than you. And if you think you can do it in your own strength, it's probably not a vision from God. That's probably your pizza dream that you had. There's a difference between a dream that comes from heaven and a dream because of your bad meal that you had the night before. Mm-hmm. So notice this. This is in 2 Timothy. So we see a doctrine being released as far as giftings that are going into young Timothy as a preacher of the gospel. So, and then also in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14, I want you to notice. So this is the Apostle Paul. And again, I would love to be a fly on the wall to ask follow-up questions. What did that meeting, how many would love to have been in that meeting to where the Apostle Paul began to lay hands on people as well as the prophetic presbytery? How many would like to have been there and just sense the atmosphere of what was going on there? I certainly know I would have loved to have been there. And it says this in chapter 4, verse 14. And do not neglect the gift. 
Say the gift. So again, this is reiterated. Let everything be established by the witness of two or three. So here we have a second witness just within the ministry between the Apostle Paul and Timothy, by which we see the laying on of hands. It says, do not neglect the gift, which means if he's admonishing not to neglect, which means you have the capacity through not stewarding correctly and managing, there is the capacity by which you do neglect the gift of God. And that sometimes what happens in the church is what we neglect ends up going to the back burner. And what ends up going on to the back burner ends up begin to chill in that place. This is why you see so many people that once they're born again, they're what we call on fire for God. And then all of a sudden they become mature in Christ and all of a sudden they lose their fire. Why? Because they never kept stirring up the gift of God that was on the inside of them. And they became too professional before God. And they mistook maturity for being professional. Never confuse being professional with all of a sudden now you're more mature. No, that doesn't. Listen, the more mature you are is expressed not in just uh, 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 character development, but are you still actually on fire for the things of God? Sometimes we think maturity means you've been doused with water, cold water, and your fire's gone out. That does not mean you're mature. Your maturity is expressed in your intelligence and in your character, but also that you still have the fire of God. You're just more mature in how the fire is released through your life. Mm, Boy, and this is just the introduction of housekeeping. We haven't even got to my sermon yet. Hopefully we'll get to that. Amen. Notice this. Do not neglect your gift, which was given to you. Watch this. Through prophecy. So that means there was an utterance, just like when Pastor Derek was here. Some of you got prophecies and you got words. That means there's actually something that's on the inside of you. There was a word. There was a deposit. And through a prophetic word, there's a gift that actually lies on the inside of you. And so, therefore, you have to take personal responsibility for that word that was given and wage a good warfare with that word that was actually deposited within your heart and within your mind. Why? Because it's through that gifting, God gives you success, he gives you victory, and without it, you'll just live your mundane, normal lifestyle. We are not called just to live a normal lifestyle, but a supernatural lifestyle. And part of living the supernatural lifestyle is stirring up that gift that came through you. When there was prophetic words, this is why sometimes people will have recordings and different things or hold it so that they can bring to remembrance. Thank God for those digital devices in which you can record words by which you can listen to it and say, that was really weird, delete, or wow, that was really good. Lord, what was that word? Because notice, what are we to do? We are to remind ourselves. So that tells me before the time of digital devices, because they didn't have that in the early church, that means you had to stir up and keep within your remembrance. So if you went a long time without stirring up the gift, what ends up happening? You end up forgetting those things. So this is why the Apostle Paul says, uh, he reminds him. Why? That means you have to always consistently be stirring up the gift of God that's on the inside of you. Amen. Don't just let it camp out for a year and say, what was that word? And then pull up and go through your digital device to go back to last year's prophecies and sit there and listen to them. Amen. It should become part of who you are and who you are becoming and out of your prayer and out of your commitment to Christ, something that just flows organically out of you, not just out of your digital device two years later. 
And because you happen to be going through a frustration, oh, I'm going through hell. What was that word? Oh, that felt good. That was wonderful. I still remember that time. That's not the way you stir up the gift. Stirring up the gift is praying, okay, God, I've received this word. And even as Moses got a word himself, you're to go in there, okay, I'm believing you. You have to strengthen me. How do you do it? You've given me this rod, oh, God. And you begin to pray through those things so that now the gift becomes part of who you are, not just something that's on your digital device. Come on, I'm pastoring you today, man. <laughs> Hallelujah. Trying to help you. So some of you, especially you got victories. Things came out of you. And then there were things that went into you, those prophetic words. Why also are the prophetic words that come into your life? Because with what you were set free with, I want you to think about this for a moment. Let me submit this to you. You lived with that for the longest time and you are totally unaware. So therefore, that which was inside of you created a certain stronghold in a mindset. And so when the power of the enemy is broken, you need to stir up the gift of God that breaks the power of that stronghold that kept you in bondage. Why? Because the enemy is going to want to return to bring you back into a state of bondage. And so it's up to you to stir up the gift of God in order to break the assault of the enemy that would want to have his domain back inside of you. Come on, are you here? The enemy only has access to the degree that you give him access. And how is that? Through an unrenewed mind. You still think like a demonized person. Come on, are you here? And he goes, oh, this is great. I can walk right back in because you have the door wide open for me. And Jesus does not have his place in your residence because you kicked him out or you're not allowing him to teach you in order to have those uh, wrong mindsets and strongholds broken over your mind and have his good strongholds established within your life, which is what? The word of God. What does the word of God have to say as well as this, which is affirmed through prophetic ministry in order to strengthen you in what God has called you to do? You see, the devil wants to sit there and be a roadblock in every direction of where the spirit of God wants you to go. This is why as soon as Peter steps out, what ends up happening? He's walking on and immediately what does he do? He bumps into the water, that are the waves and the winds. And Jesus is the one who begins to speak to the waters and the wind, and he speaks it. If you look in the original Greek, he speaks to it as if it's a person. He rebukes it as if it's a person. Why? Because the spirit of the world is also, it's the spirit in which he, he begins to, to uh, what's the word I'm looking for? He begins to, he's the spirit of the world in which he can, has the ability to stir up the winds and the waves the spirit of the age, and so he's going to bring an obstacle to cause you to stall out in order to get you back into fear. Come on, are you here? And so we have to understand that he's given us the power. This is why when he meets Peter and pulls him up, hey, why did you doubt? In other words, what I did, you should do too. And so part of pastoring is once you are set free is the training of you stirring up the gift. This is why with many of you, you know, I'm like, okay, you'll come and you'll ask for prayer. I'll say, no, you pray. You pray. Why? Because the power of your prayer that you had before your deliverance is not the power that you need. You need to go beyond that power structure and not just default to the old ways in which you used to pray. Because the old way you used to pray did not dislodge that enemy. So you need to pray a new, a new way, and this is why I'll challenge. Pray right, you mean pray right now? Yeah, you're in fear right now. Pray right now. Pray strong right now. Well, what does that mean? You're praying in fear right now. Don't worry about who's around you. You start praying right now. 
pray strong in the spirit. Well, that's a little bit strange. No, that's strange to your old man. It's not strange to your new man. And the problem is, is you're addicted to your old man, not your new man. Come on, are you here? That's why in your old man, in your own prayer life, you didn't get miracles. I'm trying to teach you how to get miracles. I'm trying to teach you how to live in the supernatural. Your prayer life sucked. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to be mean. Hear my heart and what I'm trying to say. You were delivered, hello, but you were praying. And so it didn't cause the enemy to do this when you prayed, so obviously you were praying wrong. It's not rocket science. And then all of a sudden someone prayed over you and the power of God was released over you. And like ah, and then this is the reason why, like generals and those in the army, we say, okay, now you begin to pray. Well, how do I do it? Follow me and watch the way I pray. Well, that's a little bit strange. I know, but that was the requirement in order to get you free and is the type of prayer that needs to occur so that you stay free. All that from 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14. Do not neglect the gift which was given through prophecy. Notice this. When the body of elders, it doesn't say the body of board, board members. The only thing the board members do is they lay their hands on your wallet, not on your head. Really, that was not in my notes. All right. Ah. Jesus had 12 disciples, not 12 board members. All right. All right, you know what? We better get into my service. Peace of God in a troubled world. (laughs) Are you ready for this? Let's go into it. Peace of God in a troubled world. So that was my housekeeping. Amen. Stir up the gift of God that's on the inside of you. Amen. Especially as we meet with some of you and we help you uh, in order to continue on in the grace of God. Amen. Turn to the book of Judges chapter 6 verse 11. Judges chapter 6 verse 11 and 12. It says, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Oprah, not Oprah, like Oprah Winfrey, uh, that belongs to Joash the Abazarite, where, excuse me, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Verse 12, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, notice what he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Notice that the first thing that God speaks to Gideon is he doesn't call him a farmer. Amen. Notice what he's doing in verse 11. It says he's threshing wheat in a wine press. Why is he in a wine press? Because he's hiding. So we already know that Israel is being attacked. And so he's in hiding, but he needs to create sustenance. So we know he's a farmer. So notice that God does not greet him with, Uh, uh, The Lord is with you, you mighty farmer. He doesn't address him by his vocation, but he addresses him according to what his purpose is. And so this is what you need to do. Your identity is not in what you do, but in God's purpose and destiny for you. And oftentimes in the world, what happens and oftentimes, and this is just, and don't and hear my heart in this, is often people will come up, and especially in social settings, and say, what is it that you do? Well, I'm a farmer. I farm in a wine press. And we usually begin to, in our 
uh, conversations with people, especially new people, will tell them what we do. And oftentimes, depending on what that vocation is, it could be a high place or it could be a low place. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. People oftentimes can make judgments about you in accordance to your vocation. But in the kingdom of God, you are not judged by your vocation. You are judged by your purpose. So I don't care if you're in the services and you're making a minimum wage. You're not defined by what you do. I don't care if you're a multimillionaire and we have multimillionaires in the house of God. You're not defined by your money. Are you here? You're defined by what your purpose is. So we see the very first thing that God says is the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Again, God addresses you in accordance, write this down, to your purpose and your design. Your purpose and your design. God is the creator and therefore he's the one who determines your purpose as well as your design. I know we have, for example, David Oliveira here. He's great in art and he does this the craft things, and he's made us, uh, you know, the cups and things like that. The cup doesn't go, what's my purpose? The creator knows the purpose for why there was that design. And so in order to understand your purpose and your design, you need to know the creator who created your purpose and created your design. This is why in our culture, in our society, the more increasingly lawless that we get, There is troubles and there are misidentifications in accordance to people's purpose and design. This is why people are in confusion with this whole gender thing and sexuality. Why? Because people have a misplaced understanding of purpose and design. The further that you go away from God, the greater the level of confusions will come into your life because you've departed from purpose and design. And everyone says, you see, we define who we are by what we do. God defines us by his intended purpose. Again, he was a farmer, but he calls him a mighty warrior. And again, I want you to submit this to you. Gideon would have been under the fear because there was external threats to the domestic activities of the nation he is part of and the tribe that he is part of. So not only is he being told that he's of a different vocation, he's told he's of of a different spirit. Again, he would have been in fear. That's why he's not threshing out wheat out in the place. He's doing it in hiding in a wine press, which shows that he's already under fear. So how many know that's really counterintuitive that when someone shows up, you're already in fear, you're a farmer, and he says you're a mighty warrior. You're like, excuse me, who are you talking to? Yeah, you're looking at me. I'm looking at you. So God defines you by your purpose. Are you here? Paul, excuse me. Paul's purpose and design clearly set in the beginning of most of the letters that he wrote. Are you aware of that? And I want us to look at this. So in Romans chapter one, verse one, I want you to think, take this into consideration. Out of all the things that can be said, in your very first line of letters, he establishes his purpose and he establishes his identity. That's the first thing. Now watch this. In Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of uh, Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. So notice, I am a servant. He didn't just say, I'm a tent builder, though we know he did that. 
His identification was not in his vocation, but in what he was called to do, which is wrapped up in purpose and design. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Paul called to be an apostle. Notice, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. I want you to notice, again, the very first thing he states is his purpose and his design. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Where's the third one? 3. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. By what? By the will of God. Notice Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle, sent not from a board <laughs> or from men, nor by a man. Notice his identity is wrapped up in what God spoke to him. This is why he's so bold. Because when God talks to you like he's talking to Gideon, once you yield to his purpose and design, it turns you into another man. The problem is, is you guys are all old men, not new men. And you're trying to get the fruit of new man activity through old man activities. Oh, that's a one-liner right there. You should be taking notes. Take notes for me, Mr. Adam Chan. What was that again I said? We're trying to produce new man activities and fruit through old man activities. Oh, hallelujah. I like that one. That feels like a sermon right there. Now notice this. The last one, Ephesians chapter 1. And listen, I can go on. But I could only fit this many on one slide. And I didn't want to go to two slides. So it says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. It says this. Uh, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Notice how he champions it was the will of God, and he is championing what? Purpose and design. So he establishes as the very first thing, as the credentials of what he's about to write. So do you see how, per how important it is for you to have established your purpose and your design? And everyone says. Now let's go to Judges chapter 6, verse 13 and 14. This is the response to when he makes this statement of his purpose and design. You're a mighty man of war. I like the fact that Gideon's respectful. Pardon me, sir. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon said. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all the wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us. And given us into the hands of the Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength I have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not what? Am I not what? Sending. Just like the Apostle Paul was sent. It's a commissioning of the Lord. So here's the first thing I want you to get from this. First, he prays a prayer, this is Gideon, based on a philosophical quagmire. These type of prayers are based on a culture today in which God hasn't forsaken them, but they've forsaken God. Why has all these things happened to us? It's not because God forsook you. It's because you forsook him. Remember the covenant back in Deuteronomy and you swore allegiance to Christ and now you prostituted yourself to other nations. He hasn't forsaken you. You've forsaken him. In this type of philosophical, well, why, if God's for real, why is he doing this? It's because you rejected your forefathers. It's because you've rejected covenant with God. 
whether you understood it or not, that's the consequence of it. And everyone says. Second, notice how God answers these type of prayers. Are you ready? He doesn't. He doesn't answer stupid. God doesn't answer your stupid prayers. He goes back to original purpose and design. Right? So he says, philosophical, why are all these things happening? I can't believe it. You're the mean one, God. How come all these things are happening to us? What about all the promises of all these things? And then he sits there like he doesn't even listen and says, go in this strength. Go and say, am I not sending you? He doesn't answer stupid. Because he doesn't want you to, he doesn't operate in the realm of your soul. He commissions you and through sending there's power that's released to you. We want to sit there and rather than cooperate with the power of that sending, we want to descend into just conversations instead of actions. Let's have a discussion about this. This is why, again, I'm going to say it again. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus as to what? Trust and obey, not trust and have a conversation. Because you can have a conversation and conversation yourself out of obedience to God. And take that which is spiritual and then have a conversation in your soul. And here's the beautiful thing about this whole thing that you need to understand. It's not beautiful, but it's, if you get this insight, is you can even have well-meaning people that love you talk you out of obedience to God. And then sit there and call that counsel. True spiritual counsel will recognize and discern the, the purpose and design, and they'll speak to empowering that aspect of you, not try to counsel you out of something which usually ends up becoming not good counsel but Babylonian advice. Mm, I'm preaching better than you're responding. So again, how does God answer these type of prayers? He doesn't. He doesn't answer stupid. He goes back to original purpose and design. Now, when you go to verse 15 and 16, pardon me. Again, I love the respect of Gideon. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But how can I save Israel? Now he's getting back to the issue, which is him. But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and I will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. I like that. The only thing he identifies is what he's going to do, not necessarily how he's going to do it. Because if he told you how he's going to do it, you might not step out of the boat. So he just tells you, no, this is what you're going to do. Well, how's this going to happen? Not going to tell you because I'll freak you out. You just have to step out of the boat in faith and just do exactly what I tell you to do. Well, I don't know if I can do that. That's the problem. You're trying to do it in your own strength, not in his strength. So again, first, the real issue now comes out, which is what? His fear and his insecurity. So again, in an atmosphere of fear in which you have, uh, you know, kind of... uh, 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 an outside force in military bringing uh, insecurity to the nation, now his personal insecurities are coming out. Well, I'm the weakest in my clan. I'm not the firstborn. I'm not this. I'm not that. And he begins to reveal what the real issue is. Like, God, uh, this is what the real problem is. You must have the wrong guy. No, I I got the right guy. Why? Because when I advance 
through you because you're obedient. You won't take the glory because this is your testimony. I was the weakest. Amen. If he was the strongest, God probably wouldn't choose him because he would take all the glory for himself. Saying it was my strength that God. That was the problem with Samson. That's a whole nother story. Don't be a Samson. Great gift, terrible character. All right. So the real issue comes out. It's his fear and his insecurity. Second, and I want you to take this the right way. Listen to me very carefully. Sometimes in discipleship, you have to command people to do something in order to shatter a ceiling that has been placed there by their fear. Did you hear what I said? Even in discipleship, sometimes when people are a little bit hesitant, you have to give them a command. No, you need to do it this way in order for them to maybe face the fears that create a ceiling over their life. Because what happens is oftentimes people have a greater bandwidth than they really realize, but the problem is is their bandwidth is usually governed by fear. And so you have to ask them to do something beyond their bandwidth in order to shatter the fear that contains them. Are you here? Mm, I just gave you some good counsel. Hallelujah. Often this reorients people's bandwidth because their bandwidth is often throttled by personal fears and insecurity. Uh, I'm dating myself in this. There's this thing called internal combustion engine. (laughs) But old school, like carburetors. You know, not fuel injection and all these things. Yeah, I'm going way back to 70s and 80s. But you would have uh, what you call throttling. It's a governor by which a engine would have, it could have a lot of horsepower, but because of the governor, it will throttle back its potential. And oftentimes what happens is when God reveals purpose and design, he's actually revealing the horsepower that you have but the problem is, is you have personal governors of, of fear and insecurity that keep you from full throttle. Wow. Are you here? All right. Only a couple of mechanics got that one right there. So, amen. From verse 17 on, basically Gideon says, wait, don't go. God says, no worries. I'll wait for you. He wants to give an offering. So that's it in a nutshell. And then when we go to verse 22, we're wrapping up. We're coming down for a landing. After this altar, it occurred in which he built an altar and brought a sacrifice. It says, when Gideon realized that it was an angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, at last, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, peace, say peace. Peace. Notice this, peace do Not be afraid. Notice that peace is actually to displace fear and insecurity within your life. Let the peace of Christ transcend our understanding because our understanding is often governed by insecurities and fears. This is why peace is actually something that is not just... I feel good. It's not an emotional feeling. It's actually a spiritual endowment and it's a spiritual power. The problem is, is we think like Gandhi, that I just feel good. I'm in a state of nirvana. Well, listen, you could take a hit of dope and get that nirvana. 
you open yourself up to demons, but that's another subject altogether. But the fact of the matter is, is Jesus gives his peace. Why? Because when you begin to embark on your purpose and, and your design, you will be hit with fears and insecurities in the spirit of this age and demonic people around you assaulting you. And so you will need the peace of God that transcends understanding to see things as they really are. And everyone says... So peace, do not be afraid. Watch this. You're not going to die. This is something that would have been playing in his head. Certainly the Midianites were already coming. They were destroying people. They were subjugating people. They would have been killing people. And so this would have been what is defined. This is, listen, the scripture is revealing strongholds of the mind that Gideon would have had. And through supernatural revelation, if you will, at the altar call, this was in place of the strongholds bringing strong purpose and identity. Do you see that? It's what happens in an altar call. When prophetic words come, this is literally what happens. A lot of times we want these words before an altar actually occurs. But it only happens at the place in which you kill yourself. Now, some people will take that out of context of what I'm trying to say, but I'm talking about picking up your cross and dying daily. Jesus says, anyone who wants to follow me, he has to pick up his cross. What is that? That's an instrument of death. Until you're actually committed to the cause, he's not going to bring that peace. Are you here? You can negotiate after the terms, not before the terms. Second, you'll need the peace of God to fulfill God's purpose for your life. You could say peace comes upon your purpose. And you do not know what he has. Uh, 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 excuse me. Uh, you'll need the peace of God to fulfill God's purpose for your life. Again, you could say that the peace comes upon your purpose. This is the reason why in the book of John chapter 14, verse 23, Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will what? Obey me. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey me, my teachings. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the father who sent me. All this I have spoken still while I'm with you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Verse 27, peace I leave you with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives, but let not your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And when does Jesus say this in John chapter 14? This is right before he's about to go to the cross in which his disciples are going to face persecution, in which they're going to have a realization that there's a real spiritual warfare. It's not about a kinetic warfare. Come on, are you here? They want to pull out the sword and make Jesus king, a literal king through kinetic warfare. And they had a realization that that's not the way it's going to happen and that there's indeed a spiritual war. And everyone says, and do you know what happens after Gideon after all these things happen, do you want to know what ends up happening next? You'll want to come next week. And everyone says, <laughs> I love you. Why don't you stand to your feet? We'll close in prayer. Did you get something out of that? Praise God. You're listening to the Freedom House Podcast. 
We're a house that will empower you in your walk with Christ to get free, live free, and set others free. This is our Sunday service series. For more information, go to FHUS.org. Enjoy. Enjoy.